Welcome to Notorious Women Podcast, guys. I'm Lavetta. And I'm Miriam. And this is Notorious Women Podcast, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. That's right. Miriam was uh, telling me that uh, I guess she's not worth robbing because... No, I'm not. No, like, I'm not. Like, you could try. But, like, I don't know. I don't know how far you'll get on my credit card. Not far, honestly. I mean, I have, like, a $10 bill. Like, if you want it, just ask. I'll just give it to you. (laughs) I'm curious, what is a lot of money nowadays? Listen, I actually think it's nothing less than a million dollars. And even that, like, you can't retire. If someone, like, bequeathed my family $1 million, nobody would quit a job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, Sal would probably try. And I would be like, no, no, no. Because, you know, you pay off the cars in the house. Cool. Right. You go on the vacation. I'm already planning it right now. And then, (laughs) you know, then you chunk, you know, for the college. Okay. Yeah. See. Then you're like, you better get a job. (laughs) A million dollars. If you don't live in California per person, maybe. Oh, then you're good for life. Yeah. You're probably good for life. But if you do live in California, you literally cannot quit your day job. And if you have children. You right, have to get a people. second job on top of the million you were just bequeathed. Yeah, yeah. because them California taxes going to hit. Girl. And, no you know, so. <laughs> Listen, I love California. People like shit on it all day. I get that. Because it's, you know, Why? it's expensive. Because it's expensive. Yeah, but, but then sometimes you can hear that like when you don't know the person very well and they're like, yeah. California. It's because they don't like liberals. And I can tell you that, like, first of all, it's kind of nice knowing that my rights as a human are mostly intact, mostly, you know, more so than in other states. And we all know yep. what I'm talking about. So it's I'm going to pay that. I'm going to pay the tax of having my rights, my human rights intact. It's, as you it's say expensive. that wearing. The uh, mm-hmm. the LGBTQ plus IA flag on your shirt. That's right. Represent. I mean, it is uh, Pride Month. It's it Pride is month. Pride Month. And you know, it's funny because um, um, I went to Target. I'll say I'll do it. Do and we it. tried. <laughs> we tried to buy stuff for the whole of the family, and it did not go well because while they had the display. I think they were banking on the fact that people would be like, oh, good, they have the display. But no, I tried to purchase. And they were like, you cannot purchase. I could purchase some things. That's what they're doing. Because there was some threats. Because these bad MAGA proud boy humans are like, I don't like gay people. you know, and, and they're bad people. And they're trying to hurt this country. And they threatened. Did you not know this? They threatened targets. And I so did target, hear that, but. Okay. Yeah, so what they did, they're like, well, we're going to pull some of the merchandise. But what they did in a lot of Targets is they left that merchandise up. There's a huge like, all right, this is the pride area. Okay. And I thought, oh, okay, so maybe they're not doing it. But what happens is when you purchase it, they swipe it and it comes up, cannot sell. And it was no. so, yes. And I said, can you try it again? And she, cannot sell. And this poor girl has to be the face of a bastard. You know, she does she did she feels real bad. You know, I'm no, with children. Yeah. So that's like going into their bottom line. Like I was just yeah. in Target, like literally what, four hours ago, and 
I did not purchase what I was thinking about purchasing, which was a rainbow striped shirt. Girl, it's you should have like got linen number. I was like, uh... nah, you can't rock this. Cause the stripes have to be the right, uh, like width. Listen, like I you think can't. you can rock it. I think you're incorrect. I don't know, but it looked cute. And I was like, mm, I can wear this with a couple mm. of black. Yeah, with some linen pants. This is very cute. Yes. Um, but if I had gone to the register and it said, cannot purchase? Oh, I talked what? to a manager. I managered that. I Karen managered that. But I didn't know. Again, you, yeah, we're going to come up right. with another name because white ladies using their... Um, their white ladiness for good are are not Karens. They're Miriams. Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm You're so welcome. honored. Because we're Jewish, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Miriams. But I fully did. Like I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere. I, I yeah. I've read all the articles. Um. But I just was like, listen, is that what's going on? And she was like. It is. Poor I'm so sorry. I feel. I mean, Ugh. like, listen. Everyone at our Target was like so, so, so nice, so apologetic. They felt like shit. But I was like, I would just like, please tell your your bosses and your bosses' bosses that like I'm pissed off. Like I'm upset yeah. on behalf of my family today. Um, and she was like, okay, I'll I'll take a note. Uh, so then I you also. Know, who gets mad at rainbows? That's how you know you're on the wrong rainbows? side. Oh my god! History, you know, right? <laughs> you get mad at rainbows. <laughs> okay, now you have some problems because you're mad at a you rainbow. Are a bad person. But speaking of yeah. rainbows, I guess we should get started. Um, yeah. I believe I am first this week, uh, okay. and in honor of uh, there's a lot of stuff going on this month. So June yeah. is Pride, of course. Yes. June is also Black uh, Music History Month. Okay, I didn't know that. And uh, June is also where we have Juneteenth. I did know that, but I'm going to write down Black Music History Month. Yes, it's Black Music History Month is June. That's good to know. It's good to know. And oh my God. The, and in honor of, of uh, Juneteenth, yeah. my yes. notorious woman today, you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. She is, hold on, let me get out my paper. Let's see. I'm nervous. She is, <laughs> brrr, oh, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> I try. My notorious woman this week is Henrietta, quote, Aunt Riddy, end quote, Williams Foster. So Henrietta Williams Foster, a.k.a. Aunt Riddy. Okay. Have you ever heard of Aunt Riddy? Absolutely not, but I'm excited. Okay, so the Juneteenth connection uh, will become apparent very soon. And uh, before we get started, some of my uh, sources, which were all over the internet and um, different sources, one comes from the Corpus Christi Caller Times, an article written by a writer by the name of Allison Ehrlich uh, from 2020, and a Shondaland.com article. Uh, from 2022, written by uh, Janice Rachel Littlejohn. I put on okay. my glasses because apparently I'm blind still. Um, and so, as well as like many other sources, but this is a, I want to talk a little bit about the history of Black people in Texas. I would love that. Yeah, in honor of... Juneteenth, which is coming up next week. Um, So, Henrietta Williams Foster was born in Mississippi 
Unfortunately, the years unknown uh, because uh-huh. she was born into bondage. Um, and but we do know that she had five sisters. And okay. as part of her bondage, she was brought to Texas to work on a ranch. Like as a uh, child? As a child. Like, a, okay. Um, you know, or as a young or a very young woman. Um, again, like a lot of enslaved people, we don't know the exact uh, uh, year of her birth. Uh, but she was brought to Texas, like I said, in bondage to work on a ranch. Okay. Now, even though not a lot is known of her earlier life, we do know a lot about her later adult life from oral interviews conducted in the 1980s and 1990s by a uh, Victoria-based historian and author, Lewis S. O'Connor. Okay. Um, and he wrote a book. Uh, well, a lot of his research, rather, was um, was like sort of compiled and uh, put into a book called Black Cowboys of Texas, which oh. was published by Texas A&M University Press. OK, so again, he conducted these. Uh, thank God for historians yeah, and authors right? like he and the, he the a, ones that 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 talk about all the things no one else talks about. You know? Yeah, or like you get to hear people's like I know there's a, a project where they uh, interviewed I believe in the 70s and the 80s uh, former enslaved people uh, oh, who were amazing. you know obviously like children like little kids but like just to hear their voices and some of their you know experiences firsthand it's just so it's so it's just so rich with it's just amazing so uh, so Lewis O'Connor um, again he interviewed a bunch of uh, people in the 1980s and the 1990s uh, who knew Aunt Riddy or Ms. Riddy. So I'll refer okay. to her as Ms. Riddy or Aunt Riddy. Okay. Um, he I'm interviewed co- multiple quick, people. Mm-hmm. Aunt Riddy, how would you spell that? R-I-T-T-Y? Oh, R-I-T-T-I-E. I-E. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's a take on Henrietta or Retta. I, I think in words like written down and that's yeah. how my brain works. I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> it is what it is. It's just, uh, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. We all have different ways of learning. So um, processing information. Uh, now he, one, some of the people that he interviewed, uh, this author and historian, uh, were Aunt Riddy's great-granddaughter, Josephine Spriggs Green, and her great-great-granddaughter, uh, Dessaline Spriggs Bearfield in 1990. Okay. Wow. Both of them had spent time with their relativist children. When they were younger. So by this time, they were older women and they had right. memories of spending time with her when she was an old lady. Oh, my God. And they they also heard uh, stories about her from her, but also about her um, throughout the years. Some of the dates and again, with older people, sometimes the dates get mixed up. Uh, they don't remember exactly uh, exact dates as much, but they yeah. kind of generally remember that. So. Um, but it's, it's understandable because a lot of these stories are from 50 years prior. So a lot of these stories they're telling in the nineties, they're telling stories from the forties, the thirties and the forties. So, um, but they, but the information that O'Connor was able to get out of them recalls, uh, paints a picture of a tenacious, tough as nails woman. Okay. Now, according to, uh, uh, again, her great granddaughter, uh, Josephine, um, Aunt Riddy said, quote, life was tough. This is what Aunt Riddy was telling her. Life was tough. She had bad, she felt bad about the way she was treated. 
uh, talking about her okay. experience being enslaved. Yeah. They didn't hardly have any food or clothing. She didn't like being separated from her sisters. She oh. never knew where they went, end quote. So when oh. she came to Texas, she was separated from her five sisters. What fuckers. You know, and just imagine being torn away from them and never, it's, it's a colorful ball over again and never seeing them again. Yeah. Uh, except in that movie, they get to see each other when they're old ladies. Um, it, yeah. Now, you know, eventually, you know, they're making another one, right? Oh, yeah. So apparently it's based on the, the musical, which is based on the book. Oh. And not the movie. Yeah. So. I, I love the book. Maybe more so than the original movie. So yeah. sorry. Because the, the movie was great. Yeah, Don't I mean, me it's, it, it is, it's, I think at the time, a lot of people had problems with the movie, but then it's become a, like a, you know, a black music classic or a movie classic in general. And yeah. it's still emotional. I can't watch that scene where um, Nettie and Celia are torn apart. I cannot watch that nope. scene. It's, Listen, nope, I, nope. I read, I read the book and I like, there are a couple of moments where I cried, but it's beautifully, it's beautifully written. It's beautifully told. I saw the movie. I didn't stop crying. For two hours. So... I just cried the whole time. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's just, so... I, I can't. I, it's just, oh, and Danny Glover is so good and evil. Oh, uh, but, yeah, Sorry. apparently this new uh, adaptation is based on the book and the musical. So I'm uh, obviously so, going to have to watch it. Yeah, obviously. Obviously, yeah. I'm going to watch it, even though I'm going to cry. I'm going to totally watch it. I'm going to get my tissue box. It'll be fine. It'll yeah, be fine. It's just, yeah. Um, it's color purple, of course. Um, Alice Walker, read it, get it. Uh, okay. So I love Alice Walker. Go on. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> now Aunt Riddy, so she was brought to Texas, uh, to work on a ranch as an enslaved person. Um, and because of that, she mainly worked with cattle okay. and that's a tough business. It's hard work. Yeah. And uh, she she apparently learned how to ride horses. And it was said that she was the only woman that worked with the men. Uh, one okay. of her uh, descendants recalled, quote, Aunt Riddy would move around and go with the cow crowd from the different ranches. Wherever men were working cattle, she was working with them. She rode side saddle and bareback on her white horse, end quote. Wow. Yep. Okay, the whole side saddle thing. I can't like from I teach Pilates from a balanced body alignment perspective. It's a bad idea. <laughs> I'm just like like you know, take feminism off to the side for just a moment. Okay, it's just it's going to twist you in one direction for too long. You have to like balance it out. You might as well just ride a regular horse regularly. Okay. I mean, I listen. I, yeah. I think horses are beautiful. I'm terrified uh-huh. of them because they're large. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I've been told they're like, no, you will love horses if you ever get a chance to work with them. Because um, I'm mean, a sucker, and all animals no, know would. that I'm a sucker. You would. They oh, would just be like, Lavetta, Lavetta, you're you know. one of us. Come, roam free. <laughs> I mean, like, they're My so bad. beautiful. Let's go. They are just, beautiful, and I respect animals, and I'm like. You know, a lion's beautiful too, but I don't think I should be near a lion uh, because you eat me. I'd be like, what's up, girl? You smell good. Um, okay, so back to Aunt Ready. So now, as part of his interview uh, series, um, he also interviewed 
two former cowboys who worked with Aunt Riddy in 1982 by the name of Simi Rideoff and Monroe Bailey Shaw. Okay. Monroe Bailey Shaw. They were cowboys and they also uh, knew of Aunt Riddy. Uh, and they remember that she would ride horses astride in long skirts. Uh, and they, they, they said of her that she could handle the cattle, throw calves, and perform all the same work the men did. She also kept the men in line, apparently. All right. Quote, the old hands who knew her say you felt about you felt about her just like a man and that that's the way you better act or that woman would kill you. She had a butcher <laughs> knife. Mm-hmm. She had a butcher knife with her at all times and she would huh. cut your throat. <laughs> <In quote. laughs> Good woman. That's what I say to that. Good woman. Then they go on to say that, quote, she didn't bother. They didn't bother her. She was ready for any trouble and the men were afraid of her. She would put a club on you if you didn't act right. She could. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She's just in quote like yes, girl. Aunt Red is like, don't be fooled. Mm-mm. Don't let this skirt fool you, uh, fuckers. <laughs> uh, now, like most enslaved people, it was illegal to learn how to read or write, so Aunt Riddy received no formal education. Right, but that didn't stop her from leading a productive life. In addition to her work on um, as a ranch hand, as a cowgirl, she worked as a midwife, and she knew how to tend uh, attend to wounds. According to her descendants, wow. quote. She knew lots of things that educated people didn't know. Aunt Riddy yeah. knew how to keep a woman from having kids. Oh. Uh-huh. She was married to a Williams and a foster, but Aunt Lizzie Dunham was the only child she ever had. One of her descendants said, quote, Riddy knew a lot about herbs also, end quote. Oh, girl. She's my hero. So like, she's helping the ladies who get in a little bit of trouble. Let me tell you, I'm saying... That she didn't have, she couldn't read or write, but she was a doctor. Okay, like in a successful one. Yep. That's incredible. The fact that she only had uh, one child. Yeah, she knew what to do. She knew what she do to do Mm because, yeah, women had no choice, no birth control. No. But, I mean, honestly, like if you think about what birth control is made of and, and you know, like mm-hmm. if you really understand the herbs and the land, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know shit. <laughs> I really don't. But like I've read books about this, you know, like there are things you can do to help control things. Didn't they yeah, have and- birth control back in from in like the Egyptian times, like different herbs? I'm sure they did. Um, probably with varying degrees of success. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> works, I think midwives. Works until it doesn't. <laughs> I know. I think midwives are probably, um, you know, probably the the unsung heroes of history because, oh. you know, usually they're they're also women and they can understand the woman's body probably better I mean, than a male doctor could. Um, and they can also relate. I mean, I'm just making all this up. I don't know no, if this is true. On, but on our Instagram a couple of months ago, I posted a thing. Um, guys go look at it. It's, it's a couple of months ago. Um, but about black women, I think in the South made up something like 80% of the midwives. Um, and that is 100% of how women had their babies Yeah, and it was a whole culture and people knew and trusted and they, that's, and it wasn't until like white doctors, I think in the fifties started sort of kicking them out and taking over. Uh, much too. You don't say a woman dominates a a, a, a industry and then men uh-huh. come in and kick the women out. You don't. Not say. just a woman, a black woman, and then a white yeah. man comes in and kicks them out. I don't know if you've ever heard of that happening before. I, I don't 
know what um, you're talking about. That yeah. never happens. That I never happens. I must be lying to you. You, you so must have blo- blocked yeah. out or blacked out or something yeah. and read it. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> I think they saw the white men and were like, oh, God, thank God. Someone's here to do it better. Woohoo. Well, also, I, I mean, the study of uh, gynecology, the history, they used to experiment on black slave women. Yes, um, they did. And there's a whole history of that. You know, they did a survey recently and I think it's something like, like 60 or 70% of medical students thought black people don't feel pain the same way. Yes. I read the study. Non-black people. Yeah. Didn't Shakespeare, who was probably anti-Semitic also, but in his attempt to make Jews a little more human, write, do we not bleed the same blood? I mean, I'm not getting that quote exactly right, but you know what I'm saying? Like that was 400 years ago. You guys, and you're med students. You're stupid. I'm sorry. Any excuse (laughs) to treat people differently. Right? What the hell? Well, you know, like all marginalized people, people just do the best they can where they are in history. And Aunt Riddy, Miss Henrietta, Aunt Uh Riddy was doing the best she could. I mean, the fact that she was an enslaved person, you know, and the personal trauma being torn away from your your kin, as we would say, uh, and building, coming to, because Mississippi to Texas, even though it's the South, it's a very different, Texas is very different. I don't know, people who don't live in the United States don't understand, like, even for... Americans, other parts of the country are very foreign to us. It's like a culture shock when you move there. Like a hundred percent is. I've I've been to to Texas, and I a hundred years ago I went on a I went on a theater tour, um, and I remember not. I remember thinking I had lived my life, and I understood. I was like, oh, this is not the same. Okay. It's different. And I mean, the United States is so big as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's so big. And so I think, you know, people don't really understand that. But I just think about like her inner, inner personal, her inner life, right? Like just being in bondage. And then again, (laughs) because of Juneteenth, Uh the fuckers didn't tell the enslaved people that they were freed from the Emancipation Proclamation and so they didn't learn about it until nope. June 19th, 1865, hence Juneteenth people. So if you're wondering why there is a holiday, that's why I just can't get over there. Like, we're just going to ignore it. Like, nope, nothing to see here. Nope, nope, nothing new here. Nope. <laughs> um, but just, you know, having that experience, but also, you know, I would imagine and I think people who work with animals can say how therapeutic it is. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think those people become uh, they become really good at working with animals because animals can feel your spirit and they, they learned how to need each other. Now I'm getting all philosophical, but my hope is that she found some solace in being able to work with the animals as well yeah. as she did. Um, and to be good at, you know, m- you know, being a midwife, doing all of the things that uh, she did to help her uh, fellow human beings and people in her community. So, and obviously she managed, uh, she was married and she had a child. So she built a life and built a family. So, uh, but you know, the fact that we don't know more about her from her own words is a shame. Um, Yeah. You know, what we do know though, is that uh, as she got older, she began losing her eyesight. So she stopped uh, her midwife duties. Uh, She eventually moved in with her daughter, Elizabeth, in Rufugio County, 
where she appears in the 1920 federal census. So that's why the oh. census is important. Um, yeah. Now, an exact date of her death can't be found. Um, and her descendants, Green and Bearfield, had conflicting dates. Uh, one says 1926. Another one says 1928. Uh, but she was buried in Refugio and now has a place uh, in the legends of South Texas ranch life. She was one of the original cowgirls. Um, and I just want to leave you this uh, quote from one of her descendants, Green. She said, quote, she wasn't scared of no one and she didn't take foolishness off of nobody. <laughs> she would cuss, she would cuss and lay people out and she could hoodoo people away from the house if she didn't like them, end quote. And for that, ladies and gentlemen, Henrietta is my shero because I don't take no foolishness either. No, don't bring don't. no foolishness around here. Um, as I wrap that up, so that's that's pretty much most of the information we know about Henrietta Williams Foster, aka Aunt Riddy. But I just wanted to give people a little bit of a context because it was, you know, that's a pretty short um, life uh, story that I just told. But I just want to give people uh, context about, like, cultural context about Juneteenth. And the place of black people in the Old West uh, Americana uh, folklore. And because of now, black people have always known because, again, black men were the first cowboys. Uh, hint, it's in yes. the name cowboy. It's in the name. Oh, cowgirl. Yeah, it's in the name. Stop. Um, right. And, Why isn't it cow man? Cow woman. Exactly. Well, women, um, not yet. And it's like, you know, also because these were enslaved people who were forced to do this kind of work. Uh, but, you know, I just want to give people kind of uh, reference for that. So, again, the original cowboys, cowboys, uh, you know, even though black men were the original cowboys. Uh, but once like that whole sort of Old West cowboy, cowgirl ranch life became uh, embedded in the rugged individualism, right, of mm -hmm. the Old West imagery. The contributions of Black people were smudged out of history to make room for the Long Ranger, which we now know was based on Bass Reeves. Uh, but the writer knew he couldn't sell yeah. books if Lone Ranger was a Black man. So, uh, so he changed it to a white guy and gave him a, a Native American sidekick. Uh, <laughs> so you it's know what I mean you try to sell the books it's a problem I know it's still a problem but yeah. you know but once uh, again what we were talking about earlier once white men decided that they wanted to yeah. take on that moniker then they smudge out the um, and, and this is done on purpose get rid of the original contributions of black people it happens um, it's a story that has retold in so yeah. many different ways over and over again. And it's almost exhausting. Wouldn't it be just easier to tell the truth at some no, point? No, no, oh, no, damn. not for some assholes, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but because of this, they were original cowboys and cowgirls. After emancipation <laughs> reached Texas <laughs> in Eventually. 1865, mm. uh, black cowboys and girls continued to work, uh, continued the work that they were forced to as enslaved people. Um, and so many of them continued to work on the, uh, the ranches that they had been enslaved on and many, and many actually eventually own their own ranches, oh, that's uh, good. and continue their skills of taming and training horses, tending to livestock and driving thousands of cattle on the trails across America. In fact, in Texas, prior to the civil war, enslaved people made up 30% of the population 
Wow. And freed black cow hands contributed vastly to the development of the cattle industry, mm. uh, you know, with the skills that they had learned on ranches and trails as enslaved uh. people. Now, after the Civil War and Juneteenth, again, Juneteenth, June 19, 19th, 1865, when 2000 Union troops arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas, to announce that the Emancipation Proclamation had been passed in 1863 <laughs> uh, and that the war <laughs> was over. So pissed off. They must have been so mad. I'm just... Well, I think it's probably relief. And then immediately a lot of people. Um, yeah, just at first it's went relief. in search of their yeah uh, went in search of their like their family right yeah uh, sure. black people don't have time to be mad they had to and also you have to eat because it's like what does that mean so according to history right. um, more than two hundred fifty thousand enslaved black people in the state were free by the uh, the proclamation so immediately many cowboys and cowgirls transferred their skills to work in other fields and became well-respected top hand expert ropers and horse breakers. Now this year, the African-American museum in Dallas uh, visitors, they had an exhibit called the American old West. uh, No quote. The exhibit was called quote, black cowboys, semicolon, an American story. Nice. And it basically just explored the contribution. Some of the stuff we're talking about here, it focuses a lot on men, of course. Yeah. Um, but it also focuses on a few women that uh, that we know of uh, through folklore, through, you know, word of mouth. And one of them is Henrietta Williams Foster. Um, and so the exhibit was on view at Fair Park Museum until April of this year. Okay. Um, and Ronald W. Davis, the second, and, uh, he was the curator on this project. Okay. He and his longtime friend and arts advocate, Aaronetta Pierce, uh, they wanted to, they think this exhibit was very important, particularly in Texas to talk about how like, you know, black boys, uh, black boys, black cowboys and black (laughs) cowgirls. Yes. were denigrated, marginalized, and erased. And so they feel like the exhibit was a way of them uh, bringing justice to people who have been denied justice. Ab- absolutely. You know, absolutely. Um, also, you know, uh, Nope is is about like, I don't know, he, uh, I don't know, have you seen Nope, the movie? Sal is literally in the middle of watching it. Here's the deal with me watching anything horror. Sal has to watch it first. Oh, yeah. And then he gets me through it. Like I, I loved it. Some of my friends did not like it, um, and I'm like, really? guys, it's basically just Jaws in the sky. I don't. I don't well, because but they're loved, not like horror. I people, loved Get so. Out, and it's the same director. So, you know, but he literally is in the middle of watching it now. So, I'll, well, it starts I'll off with well, the trailer was that it showed the first. Um, uh, it showed like a, like a sort of a first moving picture. You know, they, they would do like literally the flipping of the pictures oh, yeah, of yeah. a um, of a jockey, a black man riding a horse. Okay. And people, when that came out, like before the movie came out, like about a year before, people were like, what is that? And it's like, well, yeah, the original Cowboys are black. What do you guys like? Like, well, even I think though, it's, yeah. yeah, I think it's really important because if you look at I've only been to Texas once, but I went. Oh, yeah, I was on tour. <laughs> um so we went all over and I think it's, they're very proud of their heritage, mm-hmm. like a, a cowboy mentality. Uh, we do it bigger. Da, 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 da. Like for them to know their history, where, where this cowboy mentality comes from, 
And, and like, why not? And it, I think there's a lot of argument of like, oh, well, we should be, we can be proud of ourselves too. I'm like, sure, but you can't steal from someone else. Like, be proud of who you are, all that you are, but like, give homage to where you got stuff. I yeah, I mean, that's all we're problem. saying. Just, yeah. just, you know, just share the credit because, you know, the aesthetic, the physical aesthetic of like, you know, the, the cowboy boots and even the way the hat is, yeah. that comes from our, our Mexican brothers and sisters to the south of us. Like right. that's heavily influenced with the fringe that comes from uh, not only uh, the native people of Mexico, but also our native people here in North America. Like, so all of it is combined because that's what America is, right? America is the, like, the land of the remix. It's the land of the remix. Exactly. And it's no different than when I'm like, you know, when someone helps my child with a homework thing, all you got to do is say, thank you. You're going to turn it in. You're going to get all the credit. Someone helped you. Thank you. And then turn it in. That's not a problem. And if someone says, oh, did did you get help? Because I was having trouble. You be like, I totally did. This person helped me. Cool, cool. And then you could pay that person a ton of money and they can help you. It's, you know what I mean? It's just like... Just say thank you. It's not that, that hard. And it's not that hard. But here we are. But, you know, also being decent is not that hard. But it seems to be hard for people. So, I But so. I just want to conclude with... If you guys are listening and you're more, you want to find out a little bit more about like other women like Aunt Rudy, because there are some other women as well. I just covered her because particularly because she's uh, from Texas and I wanted to give homage to again, Juneteenth that's coming up this week. But there's like been a resurgence, I would say probably since the seventies and the eighties, a huge resurgence of like, you know, exploring the history or the connection of black people with the whole, you know, sort of old West uh, cowboy cowgirl aesthetic Americana, which is a part of Americana um, because the whole cowboy old West thing is uniquely American. Um, And so it's a very, which is so interesting because other cultures really dig that kind of aesthetic. Yeah, Uh, they do. And it's just so funny when they, when then they, they remix it, their version of it. Like when you see like, like in some Japanese uh, aesthetic, they loved they loved the whole or you know old west or how like you know Seven Samurai was adapted into a western. <laughs> you know, oh, that's it's right. like yeah. the Magnificent Seven. It's like because it's basically that sort of like rugged individualism that is you know a very much part, a, very much a part of like a, the fabric of America and what America means. But but you know just in recent years, I think people are realizing the origins of like that whole sort of uh, concept. And again, the original cowboys and cowgirls were black enslaved black people in this country. And so, you know, there's all kinds of resources now in big cities, uh, in places like Texas, in the South, in the North, in the Midwest that you can sort of get, you know, get your, your cowboy, cowgirl thing on. Right. So, uh, one of those is, uh, the national multicultural Western heritage museum in Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, cool. Um, there's also a national cowgirl hall of fame. What? That's amazing. Okay. Yep. It also features uh, and other inductees and ranchers like Molly Taylor Stevenson, uh, Colorado pioneer woman Clara Brown, former U.S. Marine and equestrian trailblazer P- Patricia E. Kelly, and Southern California real estate broker Maisha Akbar, okay. who founded Compton's Richland Farms and established a nonprofit Compton Junior Posse Youth e- Equestrian Program. Oh, my God. So, there's all kinds of things. There's also, I think there's like a, a, a black, um, I think it's a, 
I think it's like a, uh, the black, not the black cowboy rant. It, it's like a, a show that's coming here this summer that I saw it somewhere and I was like, Oh my God, I would totally love to go to that. Like, it's just so like at, at the fairgrounds and like okay, you're in exactly California. Yeah. It's like, you a, know, I can't describe it, but I know what you're saying. There's yeah. So there's, involved. there's horses involved. So there's all kinds of places that you can get your, 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 your love of the, all things Western and ranchy and horsey and whatever. Giddy up. Giddy up. Do you know when I first learned about like our history of cowboys is not what I thought they were. It was when I saw blazing saddles. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if that's like a historical moment, like to place to go, but it's funny. I don't know though. Like, does it hold up? I don't remember, but it was funny when I was 11. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember Blazing Saddles being uh, incredibly silly. Yes. And I love that. Uh, so yeah. that is funny thing. It's like, yeah. you know, but. <laughs> you ever, I, anything before like 2007, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably. Yeah. No, even then. No, seriously. Like we have children and it'll be like PG made 2006. And my husband and I look at each other like, I just don't know if this is appropriate. yep like i know and half the time we have to to, like pause all right don't hate us but we had to explain that was not an okay moment Mm -mm. not Um, an okay moment but uh that's just a little something again is an homage to juneteenth that's coming up this week and that is my notorious woman this week henrietta williams foster aka aunt ready i love her awesome you well who's so, your notorious woman this week i am bringing back from last week shirley chisholm that's right that's part right two. let's let's continue that's let's continue two. the story yes All right. so i ended with shirley running for the presidency okay okay so july 1971 she formally announced that uh what no, I'm lying to you because I can't read. It's fine. It's been a long week. Okay, so uh, she explored her candidacy <laughs> July 1971. She formally announced it January 25th, 1972. Okay, so she called for in her, you know, in her, what is it? In her, her run platform. for office. Her platform. That's the word. You're oh, welcome. I love words. Thank you so much. Um <laughs> She called for a bloodless revolution at the forthcoming uh, Democratic nomination convention. So she became the first black, I think, person. It says African. It said African-American. But I think, yeah, to run for a major party's nomination for president. Um, It also made her so it says here that it made her the first woman ever to run for the democratic party's presidential nomination now you and i know that and there was another woman who ran um but yeah but i think she ran under the republican because the republicans used to be the liberal party back in the day i know it's so weird sometimes i see an old person be like i used to be a democrat i'm like no you weren't my democrat trust me um so she describes herself this is how she described herself. She offered a new articulation of, of American identity. She says, and this is, I have a video of her saying this on her Instagram. 
Uh, she says, I am not the candidate of black America, although I am black and proud. I am not the candidate of the women's movement of this country, although I am a woman and equally proud of that. I am the candidate of the people, and my presence before you symbolizes a new era in American political history. So, I mean, you watch her say that. Go on our Insta, guys, and watch her say that. It's, I'm ready to vote for you right now. I'm ready. You know, it's so interesting, though, like, I feel like maybe because it was the time, it's 1972, but, like, now when people give that sort of, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of, like, I'm black, but that's not important. Like, it, it right. feels like a separation from your your race and your gender identity. But, again, that's 2023 eyes looking at right. someone who said that in 1972, uh, but, who's running for a major political yeah. party's um, shot at the presidency? Because you have to, it's sort of like, well, Barack Obama's like, I'm everybody's president. All the presidents have to say that except one. Yes, they, well, one I'm everybody's president. But, um, you know, it's, I wonder like, like in, in 20, 2023, because someone like Shirley Chisholm did say that in 1972, we no longer have to say that now. You know what? That's like. a really, really good point. Because I, I can see where she's coming from at this moment yeah. in time. She's, yeah. She has no precedent. Nope. Zero. She is, that's why she's ama- Like That's why she's so incredible and so fascinating. Because she did not have a black Barbie doll growing up. You right, know what I'm saying? Right. Like she was not told, you know, by society that she could do anything she wanted to be, maybe by her family, but yeah. society was not given. And she is here running for president and, and having people behind her. So I, like, I see where she's coming from. And I also give her credit for saying, but I am black and I'm proud of that. Yeah, and I am yeah, a woman yeah. and I am proud of that. Yeah, but I want yeah. you to look, and I feel like she, what she is saying is it's not that I'm not proud of these things. It's that I want you to look past that to, to see the, the bigger picture. Yeah, because you have so, to say that in 1972, too. You, like, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it's politics, too. Like, I think uh, people yeah. want to give all politicians, because uh, people forget that it's public service. Running for office right. is public service. You, you serve the people. And <clears throat> um, a lot of people are dumb. Uh, so, uh, yeah. you gotta simplify things. <laughs> no, it's, and uh, listen, people are dumb. People are racist. People are misogynist. She yeah. needs those people's votes. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, and that is politics right there. Like, yeah, yeah I'm black, but don't think about that. I'm a woman, but you can ignore that too. It's fine. You know, like it's bullshit, you know? Yeah. But she, again, it's reality. 19. I'm going to give her, I mean, she's Shirley Chisholm, so of course she has grace. I mean, she's doing this in 1972. And the first yeah. woman to technically run for presidency is Victoria Woodall in 1883. Yes. yes. Uh, but nothing tried, like this. Yeah. So I tried to get my kid to uh, become her in a class project. Aww. But, you know, he went with Alexander Graham Bell. It's fine. It's fine. But I was like, there are more American icons than meets the eye. Um Anyways. Light bulbs are cool when you're a kid. <laughs> they really are. Yeah, it's fine. Huh. I drew a little light bulb. It was cute. Or no, it's fine. Is, is it no? Is it or the no? Phone? The telephone, and telephone. I knew See? that because it's basically my project. Okay, <laughs> but also my kids are geniuses. Okay, <laughs> I can have all the things. 
Um, okay. So her campaign was underfunded. They spent uh, a total of $300,000, which is something like $4 in regular person. Because <laughs> these campaigns are so expensive. Um, and she struggled to be regarded as a serious candidate instead of a symbolic political figure. So the Democratic political establishment, I mean, surprise, they ignored her. Um, and her black male colleagues also did not provide a ton of support. Are you kidding me? Why? I know. It's weird. Because her being I, black doesn't stop them no. from being sexist? Turns out. I know. Okay. It's weird. Okay. And just so you know, 300,000 is 2.1 million today. Yeah. And it's nothing. That's nothing. It's crazy. And she said, she goes, this is a quote, quote, when I ran for the Congress, I ran for president. Let me re let me start that again. Cause again, I can't read today. Okay. Try that again. Quote, when I ran for the Congress, when I ran for president, I met more discrimination as a woman than for being black. Men are men. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh girl. my God. I wonder, I don't know if that's, I mean, obviously that's her experience, but I wonder like it's when you're dealing with men, maybe your gender is, so if you're dealing with white men, black men, other kinds of right. men, then they're like, wow, silly woman. I mean, <laughs> and, then if it, and then if they're non-black men is also like silly black woman. I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone wants her in her place. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh men are listen. Yeah. A man will a racist will hate a racist white man will hate a, a a black man just for being black, but one thing he can agree on, they can both agree on is yeah. that keep them women in their place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they can share a beer over that one. That one's fine. <laughs> oh, it's exhausting. Okay. Um but her husband was actually very supportive of her candidacy. His quote I have no hangups about a woman running for president, end quote, which is like kind of miraculous, yeah. but it shouldn't be. You know what I well, mean? Like why? Like we're crediting that. Okay. I know, but that's why she married him. So yeah, that's true. It's kind of like a new father who changes a diaper. I'm like, I'm not going to give you any credit. You made a baby. No. Like no, but... zero credit. And there's another diaper to be changed in about four seconds. It's your <laughs> turn again. Um, how do I feel? Okay. Um, my husband was wonderful. Shout out to him. When they were babies, he changed a ton of diapers. Okay, let's move on. Because um, <laughs> if he hears this, he'll be mad if I didn't say that. And so I said it. Okay, moving on. Um, so there was a concern about her security because they were not, they they didn't give her any security. Her husband became her bodyguard until she finally got protection from the U S secret service, uh, in May, 1972. Um, so she focused on the March 14th, Florida primary, which I thought was amusing in this day and age. <laughs> she said she thought it would be receptive due to quote, it's blacks youth and a strong woman's movement. You know, uh, this huh. is where I thought the you'd Yankees, have an opinion. Well, this is where the Yankees, even the black Yankees, don't understand the South. <laughs> it's a whole different. It's a whole different world of crazy in the South. Oh yeah, yeah. It turns uh, out, particularly in Florida, particularly yeah. in yeah. Florida. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. A, so, yeah. but bless her heart, like she, she really because it does make sense on paper. 
She's like, oh, the numbers don't lie. The numbers are there. <laughs> that is true. Um, so she did get primary votes, but she also ultimately lost the Democratic primary to George McGovern. Um, and since we don't know about De- President George McGovern, obviously the Democrats <laughs> lost that year. Oh, shit. They That's maybe, a burn. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Ooh, okay. The shade, the shade, mm. baby, the shade. Step okay. down, George. Okay. Okay. Um, happy to shame him. Um, I, I don't know this poor man. I'm sorry. You're his like grandniece or something. Um, so basically no one took her seriously. She did better than expected, mm-hmm. but she wasn't backed by the right organizations. Cause the democratic party, especially at the time was like, yeah, no, we like white men more, you know? Um, and it's like, so, don't you have a, a cake to cook, lady? Uh, <laughs> yeah. A cake or chicken to cook or something? Uh, or your husband? Yeah, like, your husband is hungry. And, you yeah. know, he, he could use a drink. Um, yeah, and I mean, I suspect that she knew, like, you hope that the reception would be better. But, you know, Miss Shirley Chisholm was a very smart woman. Um, yes, yes. She was putting that little crack in the glass ceiling. And yeah. I mean, I, I I would suspect that she knows. Uh, I mean, you hope you're like. I mean, maybe I'll get close. Maybe I'll get the you know the um, the nomination, and you know we can. This is a real fight, or get close to a nomination. You know, right? But I um, she's a very smart woman, so I wonder if she was just like, no, I hope for the best. Let's see if this works. Let's do it because you got to be optimistic. You got to be really insanely do. optimistic. Yeah, you really, really do, and that's. You know, more power to her for having that. For me, like, I'm in awe of her mental stamina. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Like, that—that that is the most impressive thing. Because it is hard. It is yeah. emotionally draining to, to mm-hmm. be on display and to fight for these things that are so important. Yep. But that's uh, incredible. Um, there was a, a documentary made during her campaign. The German filmmaker Peter Lilienthal shot a documentary called Shirley Chisholm for president for the German television channel ZDF, which I mm. wonder if we could get a copy of. That sounds interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So so this is another interesting moment, I think. So she created controversy when she visited rival and ideological opposite George Wallace, remember mm. him, in the hospital soon after his shooting in May 1972 during the presidential primary campaign. So... Several years later, she was working on a bill to give domestic workers the right to a minimum wage. And it's shocking that they didn't already have that right. But that's another story for another day. (laughs) Um, He helped her gain votes from enough Southern congressmen to push the legislation through the House. So I think, you know, they can. She's politicking. Politicking. It's, It's politicking and it's helping the people ultimately. Yeah, and I I mean also for people who don't know George Wallace, I'm gonna do my famous do it. terrible George Wallace do it, do accent. It. I'm ready. Segregation now. Nah. Segregation tomorrow. Segregation forever. <laughs> mm. Oh my god, you are so good at that. Forever. <laughs> 
Those are famous words he had to yeah. eat. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did. And I and I'll, again because she's from the north and not from the south. And I can't stress that enough because I think people, uh, yes. especially people who tend to think that black people are a monolith, but we're not. I mean, we are striving for the same thing, but you know, it's, we have to use different tactics <laughs> to get there. <laughs> and you know, I I would imagine that some of her black colleagues were very upset with her for meeting oh, even meeting no with doubt. George Wallace because yeah. again, he said segregation forever. Yeah, it was bad. He was bad. He like he was kind of a, the epitomized yeah badness. Like he was the white man opposing all of the changes that were being fought for. Yeah. And so he, you know, I would imagine, and also because she doesn't really have a, uh, a personal, um, uh, experience with how, how virulent and violent the racism is in the South. Yeah. Um, because she is from the North. And so there's that, but I also, she's also a politician. She's also mm-hmm. a person and you have to work with people to get stuff done And you because and you we don't do. live in a monarchy. <laughs> right. So. Which I feel like is not happening now. And it's, it's like, yo, if you could get, I mean, I mean, truth be told, some people are not because he I would I would imagine that her black colleagues were upset with her because they're like, well, you're not going to get anything out of him. So you just alienated your colleagues and you're not going to get anything out of him. But then he surprised her by actually helping yeah. her get something passed. Right. But she, she she did take a risk, like going to see it, him and like it, and when you're like, oh, those people are decent. Let's just talk to them. Some people you can't talk to. Because they're intent on your destruction. Well, it's, I mean, I, I know some, I have a friend who works for, um, uh, he, he gets people to register to vote and they actually go to, go to, you know, Republican leaning places and they go and they talk to them. And what they do is they try to get down to the nitty gritty. Like what, what matters to you? Oh, social security's being staying, right? Oh, you, you want Medicare benefits. Oh, you, you know, you have and then a lot of times they're like, well, the Republican candidates are trying to scrap all of that. You know what I mean? So they're just they're trying to be like instead of a an ideological an ideologue here and an ideologue there, it's it's like let's break down what people are doing for you. And these but see that's what I'm saying. When you even when you break it down to them, they still choose to vote for it the other people because how people feel is more important than the facts oftentimes when it comes to politics. I, um, which it's is like terrible it, because yeah, it's, that's it's like not what, they, what gets things done. It's like what they accuse black people of. I'm not voting for a black person because they black. I'm not voting for it. What's that man with the donkey teeth? Uh, Tim Scott. What is that? Is that the man with the donkey teeth? I have no idea. Talking about uh, racism don't exist no more. Oh, cute. Uh, Clarence Thomas ass can fall down in <laughs> the dark well. Um, I mean, you I want to talk vote about for Herman Cain? <laughs> Nah, nah, nah. I mean, R.I.P. Herman Cain. They I mean, listen, Jared Kushner can suck it. I mean, you yeah, know what I mean? Like, like people do. Well, like I got a lot of that. Well, his son-in-law is. I was like, I don't give a shit if he converts to Judaism right now. He's a bad man. Like, what do we? Yeah, talking? I mean, and that's what I'm saying. Like, no, you know, some people you can reason with, and I say, hey, yeah, definitely try and reason with people and get down to the yes. nitty gritty. But because there are a lot of people in this country who. Even but when I, you get them down to like, well, this candidate doesn't agree with it. And they're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh you like that? Oh, yeah, that was that, that was really heartfelt. I felt that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and some of them know that they 
they accuse black people of voting against their interests, but it's like, no, that's not our side. It's it's the poor people. I mean, side like yeah. I mean, I've I, had I, like black people try and convince me Republicans are more for black people. In what reality are you living, mm, sir? Are you living on yeah. Earth two point three? Because that you ain't living on this Earth. Uh. Someone tried to pull me over aside. I don't know. If I told you this. I was at a like party. And this girl pulls me aside and was like, this was years ago. T-Dog was still, you know, in the house that's painted white. Anyways, this Not is traumatic. T-Dog. I don't like him. But she goes, don't you think he's good for Israel? And I go, I don't think anyone who is anti-Semitic is good for Israel. And and she didn't even argue that he wasn't anti-Semitic because he, he kind of is, right? But... He, you know, he's more he's he's more known to being, you know, racist and, you know, and other things. But like, no, that they all white supremacy is white supremacy. I said, yep. I was like, he's a white supremacist. So, no, he's not good for Israel. What are you doing? Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like some people I'm all for like talking with people. But once you've realized that they that that their choices are not based in fact. Yeah, then I you're away. just talking to a wall. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but bless these people for doing God's work. I swear. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Bless them. You and I just talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's nice. Because again, I'm like Aunt Riddy. I ain't got time for foolishness. <laughs> you don't. You just walk away. She just walks away. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so throughout her tenure in Congress. A couple of things she did. She worked to improve opportunities for inner city residents. She supported spending increases for education, healthcare, and other social services. Uh, She was very concerned with instances of discrimination against women, and especially those against impoverished women. Mm -hmm. Uh, She focused on land rights for Native Americans. She opposed the Vietnam War and was a vocal opponent of the U.S. military draft. Um, during the Jimmy Carter administration, she called for better treatment of Haitian refugees. Um, she was a forceful advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment, believing that the initial value of passing it would be the social and psychological, would have the social and psychological effects um, that we needed, right? And it would have more than any economic or legal impact that we needed the social and psychological effect of the ERA. I remember arguing about the ERA in government class in high school because my government, this is, I'm going to take a moment. My government teacher said, why don't, you know, like the ERA didn't pass. And I raised my hand and said, like, why didn't it pass? And he said, ready? You ready? I'm ready. He said, because we don't need it anymore. Girl, I got to see in that class. And I'll tell you why I got to see in that class. Because he did not like me. That's why I got to see in that class. Because I had a response. What was your response? I said, that's just not true. (laughs) (laughs) And then he may have said other things too. I don't remember. But I was right. Okay. Yeah. We need the ERA anymore. Then pay us the same. Okay. You know what? I'm tired. Um, um, So... She also was aware of how much the second wave feminism in the United States focused on the concerns of middle-class white women, um, like adopting the term Ms., which is like, it's fine, but like we have Ms. and we have Mrs., but like we only have Mr. 
Like I would like a, a misters or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not a misters. <laughs> no. Miss, I need to know if you're married, right? By your name. So let's change that. Um, so at the 1973 convention of the National Women's Political Caucus, she said that women of color were faced with double discrimination that especially affected them economically and that the women's movement needed to make changes to better reflect such women and their concerns. Um, and scholar Julie Gallagher has written that her pressure in this regard did make some difference in the focus of the women's movement during the subsequent years in the 70s, which is interesting to me because, I mean, it's still pretty bad. So that she yeah. made a dent in it and made it better. Wow. Yes, <laughs> we'd take that. Yeah, right? Um, okay, so she did like get married and then divorced and stuff. I'll just talk about that real quick. Um, her first marriage ended in divorce in 1977. Then November 26, she married Arthur Hardwick Jr., um, who was a former New York State Assemblyman. They knew each other when they were both in the New York State Assembly and was now a Buffalo, New York liquor store owner. So she started spending more time in Buffalo, which brought some political criticism that she was being inattentive to her district. And then mid to the late 70s, there was growing dissatisfaction with her among some liberals in New York state and city politics. And they, they felt that she often, that too often sided with the Democratic Party bosses over the, like the liberal black or feminist challengers because the Democrats love to infight. They love nothing more. Well, to be fair, people like to infight even on the that's other true. side. That's people true. Are just... Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, people. Some people just like to fight. Um, yeah, it's true. Um, so there were there were just there were a lot of instances where she was supporting. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but that she supported less progressive candidates, like mm. politically. That there, like, she was voting for people who were not going beyond i mean she, i don't think she was voting like for the republicans but i mean yeah it's like an internal um, i mean that's going on today right the yeah the squad versus you know other people but i also think people um i was listening to a podcast and, and i was like that's a very good point like again what i was making that that distinction between the north and the south like you know you're in congress and so you're you know you have tons of other colleagues in congress and and what the messaging that works in your district may not work in another district. Right. So, and I think that that's something that Nancy Pelosi, that's why she was such a great speaker of the house because she understood, you know, that like, if you need to make me the enemy to win in your district and we keep that district democratic, then that's what you do. Yeah. It's fine. Because that, I mean, it is what it is. I've always said, what was the Kevin Spacey show on Netflix where he became the president? Can't oh, ever, uh, you know, it's the first Netflix show. What's well, a remake of the British one? Uh, House of Cards. Mm-hmm. House of yeah. Cards. And I remember being like, I'll be honest, when you hear little bits and pieces of what their platform was and the things they were passing, I was like, I'll vote for Kevin Spacey. I mean, he's a bad man. Yeah. I won't have dinner with him or like pray to him or anything like that. But like, we got to make sure our people are taken care of. I mean, that's part of you know? politics and that some people feel like you don't um and I get it like it's a balancing I, act right like yeah you, like do you want to keep 
that district democratic? So does the messaging have to be different? Do you vote differently on that? Like, but is it in line? And some people want you to move, like they always say, we want them to move uh, farther to the left. But most mostly centrist characters are uh, uh, figures are the ones who actually win larger races. Yeah, it tends they to do. be like, listen, do. I want all the, the things, all the socialism. Oh, that's not realistic. Me too. That's no, not realistic. exactly. Like, I'll tell you what I, what I actually want, but yeah, I'm not going to get what I actually want. And I'm not going to withhold my vote because and I don't I, get everything I and want. And I'm not going to withhold my vote because yeah. I'm going to do the best that I can making sure that the world is as good as it could be. Yeah, right? I mean, if In, I ask yeah. you for a thousand and you say, well, I have 750, I got 650, I got 650. Eh, it's not a thousand, but it's 650 more than I had. 650 more than you had. So, so I'll take, take the, the 650. Money. Yes. Is someone giving us money right now? What? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I got distracted. I'm sorry. That was my bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. And I'll, you know, I mean, especially if I'm asking for that thousand for a uh, school lunch program or, you know, right. funding and libraries. Like, exactly. Like, like, and they're like, oh, you didn't get enough. You like, yeah, but now our library is still running. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Um, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's, let's finish, let's finish up here. All right. So. In April of 1979, her husband was badly injured in, an, in a car accident. She really wanted to take care of him. On top of which, she was getting, 1979, dissatisfied with how, what was happening with liberal politics in the wake of the Reagan revolution, which it makes me so mm. sad to read that. It's like, mm -hmm. it's so heartbreaking. So yeah. she decided to leave Congress now, there's, like, argument that, like, she might actually, she was going to be challenged in the election, and and she just didn't want to deal with that. But she was not wrong in seeing Reagan for what it was. Uh, sigh, of, sigh of sadness. Um, she announced her retirement February 1982, saying that she looked forward to a more private life, and that the Reagan administration was, quote, not responsive to our constituency. The constituency is going to be more voluble and demanding, and I find myself in a position where I can't help them. She was also really upset about the tactics of the Christian right, as am I, girl, as am I, and which she said, because also I know a lot of really good Christians who are also upset about that. This yeah. isn't even about religion at no, all. No, no, yeah. Um, so she was saying that they were using the media and symbols of family, morality, and the flag to quiet the dissatisfaction in the people. And I just feel like we need to talk about that now because that's still happening. Yep. Um, so she was, she wanted to, to teach. So she was offered um, a bunch of different teaching positions um, and she accepted being named the Purrington to the Purrington, I don't know what that word is, chair at Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts uh, mm. that she held for the next four years. Um, and she could teach uh, classes in a variety of areas. Um, and then she was questioned, like, why do you want to teach at the most affluent white school in the world? You know, and she said that um, it would be good to expose these women to her feminist viewpoints and from her background and experiences. But she also did um, spend the spring in 1985 um, at Spelman College in Atlanta, which is, uh, eight, am I saying this right? HBC, 
yeah, historically black. black college. I said it. Uh, okay. Um, I because I didn't write it down, and I always like mix up. I mean, I can't read today. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, uh, and so she taught their classes called Congress, Power, and Politics, and also History of the Black Woman in America, which I think, like, I I love that because we need we need more. We need more of this. Um. What are you and, talking about? That's that's too woke. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. That's woke. Oh God. God, it's okay. I can't. can't. Lavetta, it's people like you and your wokeness that are the problem. And you know, whenever I just show up in a place, that means I represent wokeness without even opening my mouth. I just show up. And so it's woke because a black yeah. woman shows up. That's yeah. That's got to be so fun for you. Ugh. Mm-mm. Again, I don't entertain foolishness. So you don't. So you'll walk out of the room sometimes. You're yeah, just like I'm, I'm not doing this. I have yeah. one life. Okay, I'm gonna go. That's right. Um, so in 1984, sh- her and C. Dolores Tucker co-founded an organization initially known as the National Black Women's Political Caucus. So this was established during the vice presidential campaign of Geraldine Ferraro. Black women uh, from various political organizations convened to set forth a political agenda emphasizing the needs of women of African descent. So she was chosen as its first chair. Um, now, this represented a split with an earlier organization called the National Black Women's Political Leadership Caucus, which uh, had been co-founded by Tucker in 1971. Um, eventually, this whole thing became the National Congress of Black Women. Oh, so Dolores Tucker is an interesting one. We got to do her. Yeah. I I was like, okay, let's talk about this. So then she, she did a lot of speeches at colleges. She, uh, because she was nationally known. She tried to teach students to avoid polarization and intolerance. She said, quote, if you don't accept others who are different, it means nothing that you've learned calculus. Interesting. Mm. Love that. that. Um, she campaigned with for Jesse Jackson during 1984 a political campaign and 1988 all of which went nowhere. Um in 1990 she went along with 15 other black women and men they formed the African American Women for Reproductive Freedom. Yeah, we need we need that again. Okay. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um her husband died August 1986. She moved to Florida in 1991. 1993, President Bill Clinton nominated her to be United States Ambassador to Jamaica, but because of poor health, uh, the nomination was withdrawn because she couldn't really do it. Um, She was then inducted to the National Women's Hall of Fame. Hmm. She died on January 1st, 2005 uh, at her home in Ormond Beach, Florida. She's buried um, in Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo next to her husband. Um, where the legend inscribed on her vault reads, unbought and unbossed. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. That's truly Chisholm. Truly amazing. And I, 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 you know, it's interesting to note that she campaigned with Jesse Jackson for his presidential bid. And, you know, I wonder <laughs> sexism plays a role in it. I'm not saying that, you know, Reverend Jesse Jackson sexist. I don't know. I don't okay. know like that, but but the fact that you know a lot of black men are like it reminds me of an old Eddie Murphy bit, but a lot of black uh-huh. men are like, 
a black woman run? Shit, I'm gonna run too. <laughs> like, it's like it's an old Eddie Murphy bit where he talks about how like uh, uh, Jesse saw uh, Harold Washington who ran in in Chicago and won. And Jesse's like, fuck that shit, man. Fuck Harold oh. Washington. I'm gonna run for president. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, really? Okay. I mean, it's just a funny way to talk about how like we inspire one another, you know, like you inspire yeah. um, people to to think, oh, maybe this is a thing. Like, you know, or like I mean a lot of people like to say that Dennis Haysbert being the black president or the president of twenty four is is what landed in people's minds about like an actual black president like oh you i know, mean like, you you got to you got to i feel like people kind of i feel like you're not wrong like people kind of have to see it somehow yeah it's like i mean even though Jesse Jackson obviously ran for president in the 80s but um, yes but like yeah but like you know people say you know Dennis Haysburg cuz he was such a beloved president on 24 and then um and then Barack Obama. I mean, comes again, like I really do like I think that probably made a difference. Like it you almost don't believe it, but like I mean, pe- pe- people are dumb. I mean, who else to put it? People like, are so dumb. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, think a black man can be put, Wait, that black man is presidenting right now on my yeah, TV I mean, screen. And huh. I, I, I'm only half joking, I guess, but also Morgan Freeman. White people love Morgan Freeman. Yeah, He's played really the president do. how many times? Like a hundred. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my math is right. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, I mean, people do say even watching uh, Star Trek made people go into uh, STEM, you know, or like watching yeah, Indiana Jones no, made people become like archaeologists. I, yeah. <laughs> Listen, we showed my uh, our kids Indiana Jones the other day. It's maybe not appropriate for Which the one? age that we are. The first one, it's oh, it was fine. It's terrifying. The first mm, one is like, mm-hmm. but they the were fine. Faces, you're like, yeah, oh I, my god, it's terrifying. I, th- I think they're fine. I don't know. We'll find out in twenty years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was like, oh yeah, you can be an archaeologist. You will not do that, though. You will not do that. No, but you know, it's, it's, so you never know like what inspired. So the fact that she ran in 1920, uh, 1972. Yeah. And then, you know, is campaigning, uh, with Jesse Jackson in the eighties for his presidential bid. And so, you know, it's, it's, but what an extraordinary life she led and like, what a, like very inspiring. Like I said, you know, when we're talking about these historical figures, we really have to, look at them in the time that they were in. Cause sometimes you look at things a hundred percent, Yep. you know, in the present day lens and like, you know, they didn't always have the verbiage or um, they were just in a different time period. They were dealing was, with different was, uh, realities too. So, I mean, and, and from their point of view, they probably did the, the most progressive thing for that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. she, she, she sort of negated her blackness and her feminineness, but then said she was proud of it. Yeah, you know, yeah. other people would have been like, "Don't look at me like that. Look at me like these things. I'm going to pass." But she was like, "No, no, no. I'm still proud of that. That that was probably very progressive at the time." Yeah, and also she's, you know, she's dealing with like, you know. In the popular culture, there's the Black Panthers with the afros and the, mm-hmm. the raised fist. And here she is with her relaxed or straightened hair and her conservative appearance. And it's like she's yeah. running for office. You can't really say I'm running for president 
and have a black power fist up. Like you can't even do that today. You definitely couldn't mm. do it in 1972. So, right. <laughs> like, you know. and again, it's politics. I think people are, obviously there's some politicians who are just crooks, right out crooks and they're just yeah. the grifters. Uh, but I believe that many people go into politics out of the need uh, and the desire for service to, yeah. to the public. So um, yeah. Just, but thank you so much for sharing part two of Shirley Chisholm. And I guess that wraps it up for this, uh, this episode of Notorious Women Podcast. Guys, remember to follow us on all the things. Subscribe, like, share. Please share our podcast with your friends and families. Yep. The more you share it, the, the more people will find us. Yeah, and sharing is caring. So. Sharing is caring. Uh, also, if you want to support us uh, financially, give us some money. <laughs> you can do that on patreon.com slash notorious women. That's P A T R E O N slash no P A T R E O N dot com slash notorious women. And, you know, you can give us uh, as little as $2 a month or, yeah. uh, I mean, I could use a vacation. Listen, uh, I'm just saying like $1,000 a month is not that big of a deal. No, it's, it's, it's I mean, not. I mean, you know, no it's big deal. Not, like, no big deal. We, we will take it. We will take it. And, um, <laughs> Hashtag San Lovetta on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And Miriam's going to tell you about other ways you could get in contact with us. And the Instagram I kept referencing uh, the whole time is Notorious Women Podcast. It's very easy to find. And we have some great, like, I, I try, we try to get some great things on there. And they're fun and they're funny. And sometimes they are a little serious, like us. Um, and you can also email us at notoriouswmpod at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts or ideas or we messed something up, you can email us. Uh, and you can also DM on Instagram if you'd like. Yeah. And that is it. Slide into our DMs. Yeah, okay, okay. That sounds very thirsty. I, I, I am. I, I admit it. I admit it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have some nice gentleman friends you want to send Lavetta, you know. That's awkward. Listen. Don't do that. <laughs> I've been holding out for love. Mm-hmm. Now I want the money. I encourage no, this. I encourage this. <laughs> I'd love, and I mean, I love him, but listen, money is nice. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Have you seen that meme before we go? Uh, have you been watching Queen Charlotte? I've watched it and I love it so much. I have you it. seen the meme where people are like, I, I want a sugar daddy. And then said sugar daddy is uh, Lady oh, no. Danbury's husband. <laughs> That whole story of the Danbury's, I cannot, like, that whole scene, that that moment where it's like, uh, we've done it, we've done, okay, 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 you go there, and I'll go there. And then she oh goes back God. in the room, like, listen, watch it, and then watch get back it. to me. Oh, no, no, it's me. Okay, sorry. If you didn't watch Queen Charlotte, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I realize that. Oh, my God, it's so funny. But uh, to all the sugar daddies out there, it's okay. It's okay. It's uh, she got we, through it. She did what she, she needed did. to do. And now she is a lady. Okay. She's a lady. Yes. All right. On that note, we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.